Welcome. You are listening to the Upper Room Podcast. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit URFellowship.com. doing? <laughs> Everybody all right? Jeez. Good morning. All right. Do this. So we are in the third part of a series called Disciple. And if you're coming into the middle of the series, I'm going to catch you up a little bit. Uh, what we've been talking about is the fact that Jesus never referred to his followers as Christians. Never once. He called us something else. He gave uh, us several word pictures, but he never called his followers Christians. That came much, much later. And unfortunately, we have settled for Christian. And I think the reason is it's easy to settle for Christian is you you can make a Christian anything you want to because it's not defined in the scriptures. Uh, It's only used three times, and it was used as a derogatory term that outsiders use to describe the followers of Jesus. But Jesus used the label disciple. And Jesus' disciples, they took that label so seriously that, that if you were to go and visit the city of Rome today, on top of uh, just about every single building everywhere in the city of Rome, modern Rome, you find crosses. And the, there are even crosses on the gates to the Roman Colosseum. Now, if you're not a religious person, or you're not a, a Christian, or not a church person, here's a little kind of mystery of history that you need to think about. If we could go back in time to about 64, 65 AD, Nero had just burned the city of Rome. He needed a scapegoat, and he decides he's going to blame it on this new Jewish knockoff cult from Palestine that that people are calling Christians. So he announces that the Christians burn the city of Rome, and he sends his henchmen all throughout the city, uh, rounding up all the Christians to, to burn them. He had this little thing called Nero Circus, it wasn't really a circus as we kind of define a circus. It was basically an arena. So he's burning Christians, feeding Christians to lions, making sport of it, persecuting the Christians. Now imagine if we could go back in time to about 64, 65 AD, when all this is, this is going on, and imagine we go outside the city of Rome, and we visit a farm, and behind the farmhouse is a barn. And in the back of the barn huddles three Christian families that have fled the city of Rome. They know they can never, they'll never be able to go back into the city. Uh, they, they've lost everything they had. There's a bounty on their head. Uh, there, there are dangerous people looking for them so that they can bring them into the city to introduce them to Nero, where they would be persecuted and put to death. And we sit down with these three frightened families. Uh, they're scared to death. They don't know what to do. And we say this. Did you know that after a period of time, one day the city of Rome will be adorned everywhere with crosses? And these crosses won't be wooden crosses. These crosses will not represent Rome. These crosses won't even represent crucifixion. These crosses will represent one single crucifixion of one Jewish carpenter, the man that you worship, Jesus Christ your Lord. And one day this movement is, is, that you're a part of is going to become so big that the very city that you fled from, where, where Nero lives, one day there will be more crosses representing Jesus Christ your Lord than any other city in the world. One day all those temples in the city that you fled, they will be tourist attractions. 
The day is coming when no one will worship Jupiter anymore. The day will come when Christians will make pilgrimages to Rome to visit where Nero's circus currently is, where your brothers and sisters are being put to death. But instead of a circus, instead of an arena, there will be a cathedral built in the memory of Peter, the fisherman who will become one of the leaders of this movement. Can you imagine what would run through their minds? They would look at you like you're a fool. They would look at you like you're crazy. They would say, no, Rome is forever. Right? Jupiter is forever. Yes, we believe in Jesus the Messiah. We believe in Jesus the carpenter, and we believe he's the Savior, but his movement is, is a small movement. Uh, we're, we're only one of several dozen. There's no way in the world that Rome would ever surrender to this, to this movement. And yet, within 300 years, which historically speaking is not a long time, within 300 years, there were crosses everywhere. How did that happen? It happened because the followers of Jesus took seriously the label disciple that Jesus had given them. And over time, they changed the world. So today, in our our third installment of the series, Disciple, I want to read the speech that got, got this whole thing going. This was the speech that everybody rallied around. This was the beginning of the movement. And this was early on in Jesus's ministry. So hundreds, maybe thousands of people have gathered, and Jesus realizes, he gathered around Jesus, and he realizes this is the moment to to really lay the groundwork. This is the moment to lay the foundation. This is the beginning of the movement, and I'm going to introduce to this group of people the value system and the worldview and the habits and the behaviors that are going to change the world. So are you ready for this revolutionary speech that changed everything? It's the reason that we're here today. Matthew chapter 5. Here's where it all began. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. I don't know if I have that up. Do I have that? I have it to 3. So I'll read it. We'll get to 3. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside. So that's why we call this the Sermon on the Mount. And sat down. His disciples, because that's what he called his followers, came to him and he began to teach them. Now I'm going to give you the revolutionary, world-changing, shut down the Roman Empire speech that Jesus gave. Verse 3. Matthew chapter 3, 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, maybe Jesus is he's warming up. Maybe we'll get better. Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Really? That's all you got? Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the considerate. Blessed are the meek, for they, for they will inherit the earth. Okay, hold on, Jesus. Can I interrupt you there? I got a question. Poor, mourning, meek. Really? Are you from around here, Jesus? Do you know what's going on in the world? Meek, do you know anything about Rome? Do you know that we haven't had our freedom in dozens and dozens of years? Do you know where meekness has gotten us? Do you know where meekness will get us? Let's start the meek. They're going to inherit the earth? No, we can't even control our own land. Meek? Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and, hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. With what? Righteousness? 7 through 9. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Okay, I got another question. Peacemakers. Do you really think we're going to be able to retake our nation through peacemaking? Do you know what happens to people who make peace with the Roman Empire? They're swallowed up. They evaporate. They're consumed. They just become one more of the tax-paying horde. Peacemaking. 
Matthew, you're writing this down. Matthew's like, I'm not even sure this is worth writing down. Where's this going? What are we, what are we signed up for? <clears throat> Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who perse- are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I think the crowd was just like, you know, maybe he'll do a miracle because this speech really isn't going anywhere. Really, this is the start of something new. So Jesus, before you go on, let me see if I can sum up. Let's do a quick review. So we're poor, sad, meek, righteous, merciful, pure, peaceful, persecuted, insulted people. Is that what we are? Poor, sad, meek, righteous, merciful, pure, peaceful, persecuted, insulted people. You think this is going to go somewhere, Jesus? To which I think maybe Jesus smiled. Because 300 years later, the message of Jesus was everywhere. Nobody worshipped Jupiter anymore. So Jesus kind of backs up and realizes, now, you know what, don't worry about all that. You can't remember all that stuff anyway. Let me give you two word pictures to tell you who you are. Okay, let me put this in practical terms. His next phrase was this, Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth. So Jesus breaks it down. You are the salt of the earth. Now, nobody in Jesus' audience, or I'm sorry, everybody in Jesus' audience knew what salt was. Salt was a preservative. They didn't have refrigeration, right? So salt was a preservative. A preservative is a substance added to food to prevent decomposition. Because, see, when there's no preservatives, things decompose. When there's no preservative, things rot. When there's no preservative, things stink. So here's what Jesus is saying to his audience. And here's what he's saying to us today. You are the preservative for the entire earth. You are the preservative. If you don't preserve, the earth rots. If you don't preserve, culture stinks. If you don't preserve, things go very, very badly. Imagine the world he's speaking into. He's speaking to a world where where might made right. If you wanted to know what the right thing to do was, you looked for the people with the biggest army and most power. That's how right was determined. Women had no rights. Children had fewer rights. Mercy, compassion, generosity were not virtues. Those were for the weak. What we can't fully appreciate in the Western world, uh, what we can't really appreciate as Americans is this, that, that much of what we assume is common human decency, what we assume is common courtesy, is not common. It was learned. We still reflect a Judeo-Christian ethic that goes deep into our culture. What we consider typically how Americans are is not how Americans are. It's how Americans learn to be. We still reflect these fundamental issues that Jesus taught that eventually went all the way around, around the world and transformed cultures everywhere. Because we can't imagine that women would be treated any less than a man. And obviously there have been times in our country where, where that was the case. And yet there was something that we knew intuitively was wrong with that, and we fixed it. And intuitively, we knew that a person should never have ownership over another person. There's just something wrong about that. And eventually our, our national conscience caught up with the re- that reality uh, and that teaching and that truth of Jesus. We know children are precious. But why do we think children are precious? 
when in other cultures, children aren't precious at all? Why do we think that when people are generous and they give their extra, they help those in need, why do we say that they're, those people are good instead of weak? Why do we think compassion is good instead of weak? Why do we applaud mercy? Why do we stop and applaud the person who risked his or her life or risked you know, income for the sake of those in need? Why do we think that's good? It's not common human decency. It's the reflection of a worldview that says there is one single God and that eventually you will give an account for your life to that one single God. It is an underlying belief system that came from a ancient Judaism and then exploded through the teachings of Jesus. And the first century Christians, or first century disciples, <clears throat> the first century brothers and sisters, they grabbed onto that and they believed it. And Jesus said, look, you have no standing, but you're the last stand. You have no, no political standing, you have no financial standing, nobody's paying attention to you. But you, he said to that crowd gathered that day, you're the last stand. And if you aren't the, if you aren't the salt of the earth, the earth rots. And if you think it's bad now and you give up, you will see how bad things really can get. And we can't fully appreciate this, but we benefit every single day from a worldview that says men and women and children have value. That men, women, and children are somehow made in the image of God. And that's not intuitive, right? Let's face it. When we hear about human trafficking, we hear about slavery in other, in other countries. We hear about the way children are trafficked, and we think, how could anyone treat someone that way? It's very simple. They do not see the world the way that you see it. And the reason they don't see the world the way you see it is because you have been taught to see the world the way that you do. When Jesus knelt and he said, I want, you to, I want to teach you how to pray, and he says, when you pray, you say to our Father, our Father, all of a sudden God becomes a God with, with a personality. And suddenly God is no longer the, the pantheon of gods that just plays with humans. Through Jesus, we learn that God actually loves us. And I have value and I have worth. And I better be careful how I treat you. And you better be careful how you treat me. You are the salt. You are the preservers of the earth. And he said this in Matthew 5.14. You are the light of the world. <clears throat> to which some of us say, I don't want to be the light of the world. I just want to be a Christian. and want to go to heaven when I die. Leave me alone. Okay, I don't want to be. I don't want to be salt and light. I prayed that magic prayer. Now I just want to go back and raise my family and go to heaven when I die. Jesus said, "No, that isn't really how it works. You're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world." You know what's strange about this? You know how big the world was to that group of people gathered that day. It was it was small, right? No one traveled more than 15 miles from their home. Uh, they didn't even know about North and South America. There were continents that hadn't even been discovered. Uh, there were continents that they didn't know about that now have churches on them. You are the light of the world. You're, you're the light of the world you don't even know anything about. Matthew five fourteen. You are the light of the world, a town or city placed on a hill. And in the English version, uh, the Bible has the word built, but the translators that translated this in Greek didn't use the word built. They, they used a little Greek word that mean more, mean more like placed. That was intentional. Matthew 5.14, a town or city placed on a hill cannot be hidden. In this part of the world Jesus is in, 
It's silly. Uh, there's, no, there's no trees. There's only shrubs. And they built cities out of white lime, limestone. The sun reflects off them. And you can see them for miles and miles and miles. At night, they light their oil lamps, and you can see them for miles around. And Jesus said, just as a city on a hill cannot be hidden, you cannot be hidden. You're like a strategically placed city. That's why you're the light of the world. You have been strategically placed. To which we might say, no, no, I'm not strategically placed. I was transferred here for a job. Uh, And I didn't really want to come. Jesus says, no, even though it may seem random to you, you are a strategically placed light. Jesus says, if you're my follower, it may seem random, but you are strategically placed. Jesus said, if you're my follower, you are light. You have been strategically placed where you are. He said this, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to, the, to everyone in the house. So in the same way, in the same way as a city placed on a hill, in the same way as a light placed on a stand, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify, glorify your Father in heaven. This is powerful. He's saying, I want you to live your life in such a way that when people see your good deeds, they don't go, oh, you know what, that guy, that's a nice guy. You're so nice. He's saying they want to see your good deeds and go, are you kidding me? Who is that generous? They keep, they keep bringing us food. I got sick and hardly even knew them, and they just keep bringing me meals. They take in those children. I mean, they're super busy people, and still they're taking in children. I mean, they're the nicest people I know. They're like church people, and that scares me, but good grief. What is up with them? Jesus said, I want your good deeds to be so extraordinary I want them to be so extraordinary that people begin to connect the dots between your lifestyle and your Father in Heaven. I want you to be a dot connector. I want your light to so shine, shine so bright, that it outshines everybody else. To make people go, what's up with you? And when it's appropriate, you connect the dots for them so, they, that, so that they begin to give credit not to you for your good deeds, but to your Father in Heaven. Some of you are great at this. Some of you, you're just happy to be going to heaven when you die. Uh, You need to look for the ones who are really good at it and ask them to teach you. Because Jesus said, I never called you to be a Christian. Telling you who you are, you're salt and you're light. In the first century, those Christians, those followers of Jesus, they got after this. They went down to the river and they took children that had been discarded and abandoned and they took them into their homes, even though they already had their own children. When plagues broke out in small towns and villages, everybody fled. The pagan priests went first because they knew about the plagues because people brought their sick to the pagan priests. The pagan priests looked at how things were breaking out, and they went, Honey, pack up, we're leaving. There's a plague in town. The Christians stayed. And they nursed people. They, They barely knew through the difficulty of the plague. They lost their lives. And people began to ask the question, What's up with these people? You know what else they notice? These, these Jesus followers, they're not afraid to die. They're not afraid to die. They know something I don't know about what's on the other side. They're not afraid of death. They live their lives in such a way that the pagan Roman Greek community began to connect the dots. And in a matter of a few hundred years, the world completely changed, turned upside down. Not because of good preaching, not because of good teaching, but because of powerful living. Men and women who took seriously the call to be salt and light. So here's what I think Jesus would say to us today. 
Don't settle for Christian. What, what is that anyway? Be salt. Be light. Be just irritating enough to where people pay attention because you live a different kind of life. Be a preserver and be a light that through your lifestyle points the way. Now, you know when I talk about this stuff, stuff like this, you, you begin to filter it through your life and where you work and your family and all that stuff, and I understand that. Um, but let me turn it around because the way to truly understand this is to think about it, about, think about your story. The only reason if you're a Christian, <coughs> excuse me, or a, or a Jesus follower, a disciple, whatever you want to call yourself, now you're scared to say the word Christian, I know, I realize that. I'm sorry I took that away from you. Uh, we'll, get to, we'll get through this series and move on and get back to saying it, it's fine. So, so whatever you are, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, here's what I know about you. You are a follower of Jesus because somebody was salt and light in your life. And maybe they didn't necessarily even mean to be. And maybe they didn't feel like they were strategically placed. They weren't thinking, I'm a, you know, I'm a city on a hill at Home Depot. I'm a city on a hill at the office. Right? They, ju- they were just trying to be what they thought they should be. And you noticed. They weren't trying to be a city on the hill in the neighborhood. But they, they bought the house next to you, and that, that house wouldn't sell for a long time. And the next thing you know, these crazy, you got these crazy church neighbors. It's like, oh, no, they're going to wreck the party. I hope that nobody invites them to the home association party, you know, because that's going to be weird. And then you got to know them. And now you're followers of Jesus. And here's what you would say about them. You would say, you know what? I feel like God put them next to us. But they didn't feel that way. That was just a house they liked. That's how this works. See, some of you, you're so grateful for the man or the woman that God brought into your husband or into your wife's life. Because you prayed and prayed and prayed and said, God, my husband is not going to listen to me. Maybe he'll listen to somebody else. My wife's not going to listen to me. Maybe she'll listen to somebody else. And God answered your prayers and brought somebody else into their lives to help spark their faith and move them towards the things of God. And that person, whoever he or she is, didn't think of themselves as a city on a hill. But that's exactly what he or she was. He didn't think about himself as salt, but that's exactly what he was. And some of you are so grateful for the, for the people that have influenced your children in a positive way. And if you were to sit down with those people, they don't, they don't think of themselves as strategically placed. But they were from your perspective, weren't they? You see, these are, those are God-ordained relationships, or however you want to say it, providential relationships. God brought him along at just the right time. God brought her along at just the right time. God brought those neighbors into my life. God, God brought that person. God brought that boss. I just feel like God put them in my life at just the right time, right? Why? But those men and women weren't thinking that. They were just being salt, and they were just being light. And now you know your Heavenly Father, and now you have assurance about your eternity, and now you see the world in maybe a completely different way. So students, high school, you know, college students, you are the salt of your, your university. You're the light of your high school. You say, oh, no, I'm not. I'm a freshman. I can't even find my locker most days. I have no influence and nobody knows my name. I want you to listen. This is what you need to understand. Salt always preserves and light always shows the way. Salt works even when you can't see it working and light works even when you don't know it's working. Salt always preserves. Light always shows the way. You say, well, Chris, you know where I work. We can't really talk about religious things and we, 
We don't, so I don't think I can be salt and light. No, salt always preserves. Light always shows the way. If you're in an office, no matter where you are, middle management, lower management, you're the receptionist, you're the boss, if you're a Jesus follower, Jesus would look at you today and say, okay, you're the salt of that that environment. You're the light of the world. Let your good deeds shine in such a way that people begin to connect the dots between your extraordinary deeds and the fact that you're a follower of me because you're salt. And everybody else says, well, this is just the way our industry works and this is just the way business is done, but it rubs up against you know, the ethics that Jesus has taught us, then you just have to decide you're not doing it that way. And yeah, you may ostracize, and you may, you know, accidentally make them feel guilty. That's okay. That's what salt does. Salt always preserves. And you have no idea who's going to look back on that interaction and say, you know what? There's this guy in my office. There was this woman in my office, and, they found, and I found out they were Christians. And this is how they behaved, and this is how they managed things. And I never, I never forgot that. And I knew in my heart I wanted to be like that. But I never told them because I was too proud. I never told them, but I never forgot them. See, wherever you are, Jesus says, be salt. Wherever you are, Jesus says, be light. And salt always preserves, and, and light always points the way forward. Because here's what, here's what you don't know. We have no idea who is around us that is on the verge of breakthrough simply because of our salt and our light. And we may never know the end of their, their story. We may never know how our interaction with them impacted them. But here's what you can rest, be rest assured of. Salt always preserves and light always shines the way or points the way forward. So let's not settle for Christian. Let's be salt of the earth. Let's be the light of the world. Being salt is a preservative so let's preserve where we can. Let's point the way forward. Not with just our good deeds, but, but with our over-the-top, oh my gosh, can you believe it? Who would do that good deeds? Let's not settle for a Christian because Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And here's what we know. When you're salt, when you're light, it has the potential to change everything. So let's not settle for a Christian. Let's ask God how to make us more effective salt and more effective light. And as God answers that prayer, who knows what God might do in our families, in our community, in our cities, and in our country. Amen. The ministry team wants to come forward. Let me pray for us. Lord, we pray that you would you would ordain and orchestrate relationships and situations in our lives where we can be salt and light. Help us to be dot connectors between our good deeds and you, Lord, our Father in in heaven. Help us not to settle for Christian, but instead be the light of the world. It's in your name that we pray. Everybody said, Amen.